0: refer to events as earth-shattering, meaning they're very important, or momentous, historic, major, monumental. Jesus' death was truly an earth-shattering event, both literally and figuratively. Jesus' death was unique, and Jesus' death was monumental. At the time... Of Jesus' death, God provided three miraculous signs, highlighting the significance of His death. The miraculous signs had a twofold purpose: first, to demonstrate that Jesus truly was the Son of God, and secondly, to illustrate a particular accomplishment that Jesus achieved through His death. There is much more going on here than what meets. Mind's eye, right off the bat, Uh, just a cursory reading. So, we want to look at these events in somewhat detail. The first sign was the tearing of the temple curtain. You may not uh, remember, but before Advent, we were in Matthew and I dealt with the uh, first verses of this section. Namely, verses 46 through 50. So I pick up today where we had left off before Advent at verse 51. The first sign was the tearing of the temple curtain. The tearing of the temple curtain was miraculous, for it was torn from top to bottom. Now we have a very pithy statement as to what took place in verse 51. It says, And behold, Think of this. Contemplate. The curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Now, that's all that is said. But there is much to consider in that particular event. It was no small event. That curtain was 30 feet wide and 60 feet high. It was humongous, if you will. 30 feet Wide, 60 feet high. The significance of the tearing of the curtain. Let's think about the the temple proper for a moment. The temple was divided into three main areas. There was the temple court, which was subdivided, but I'm not going to get into all that. There was a temple court, and that was open to all lay people, if you take all the courts in consideration. The temple court was open to the lay people. Then there was the holy place. The holy place was open just to priests. And then there was the most holy place. The most holy place was open only to the high priest, and that only once a year. So there was a curtain that separated the courtyard from the holy place. In that holy place, there was a lampstand, there was a table of showbread, and there was an altar of incense. Then there was another curtain that separated the holy place from the most holy place. In the most holy place was the Ark of the Covenant. That was the only piece of furniture in the most holy place. And the high priest would enter the most holy place through that veil one time a year. That would be on the day of atonement. The day in which the sins of God's people were atoned for. That means made a provision for for forgiveness. So the high priest, that one day a year, would take the blood that had been offered on the brazen altar that was outside of the uh, holy place and bring that blood through the holy place, through the next veil and into the most holy place and place it on the top of the Ark of the Covenant. Now it was called the Ark of the Covenant for inside that Ark was a copy of the Ten Commandments. Thus the covenant of God. And of course, Israel broke that covenant. They broke those Ten Commandments. They sinned in doing so. That sin had to be atoned for. And so that blood was placed on the top of that Ark of the Covenant. And the top of that Ark was called the Mercy Seat. It was referred to as the mercy seat, for it was the place where God's mercy and justice met. There was a, a beautiful imagery. There were uh, representations, uh, golden images of angels with their wings above their heads, bounding forward on either side of that ark, looking down into it, symbolizing how angels even desire to look into this great mystery of the forgiveness of sins. But that high priest would come and he would place that blood on the top of the mercy seat. It appears that it is that veil, the veil that separates, because there's two veils, the one that separates the courtyard from the holy place, and the veil that separates the holy place from the most holy place, it appears it's that second veil that was torn in two at the immediate time of Jesus' death. Now, what is the significance of that? We really don't have to guess. The book of Hebrews makes it pretty clear for us as to what that significance is. There are numerous passages One is found in Hebrews 6, 19 and 20. Uh, There's going to be a lot of scripture, so just listen. Hebrews 6, 19. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on our behalf, becoming a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. So Jesus is the high priest entering into the most holy place, presenting his blood for the forgiveness of sins. Hebrews 9:11 and 12 says this, "But when Jesus Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing eternal redemption." Then there's a lengthy passage in Hebrews nine twenty four to 28, I'm uh, not going to read that, but turn with me, if you would, to Hebrews 10, a summation of this entire section, and uh, it's covering four chapters, so the scripture has much to say about this, but here's the concluding thoughts in Hebrews 10, starting in verse 19. Hebrews ten nineteen. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh. That curtain, Jesus... Had to enter into, he had to enter into that most holy place, and it says that the, the curtain was, as it were, his flesh. It is in his flesh that he enters into the very presence of God, bringing his blood to make atonement for our sin. The death of Christ when he hung upon the cross, there was a vivid picture. At that moment when he died, when his blood was shed, that veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place was torn in two, demonstrating that now there could be entrance into the very presence of God, sin being atoned for, redemption being accomplished through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, when I say there's more going on here than what meets the eye, it's very easy to to miss some of the things that are in this text. First, I want you to to note the way in which this fits into the context. Earlier in this chapter, the people had been mocking Jesus on the cross. And they were looking for proof. They were looking for a sign that Jesus was the very Son of God. Turn with me, if you would, to Matthew twenty-seven forty. And I'm going to be jumping around to Matthew 27, so just keep that handy. In Matthew chapter 27, verse 40, we read this. And saying, You who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days... Save yourself if you're the son of God. Now you said that you were going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in 3 days. What Jesus was referring to when he said that was his body. In John 2:19 through 21 it said Jesus answered them, "Destroy this temple in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple, and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. They said, if you're really the son of God, destroy this temple. And rebuild it in three days. But they really said, if you're the son of God, and you can destroy this temple, come down from there. But Jesus, at the point of his death, miraculously tears open the veil, the curtain, to the most holy place, demonstrating that he, in fact, is the Son of God. I'll say more about that at the end. Second sign is the resurrection Of the dead saints. I'm taking this out of order for a reason. If you look at Matthew chapter 27 and uh, begin reading at verse 51, it says this And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from the top to the bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened, and many of the bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. So there is this resurrection of dead saints. There is no outside corroboration to the resurrection of these dead saints. There there is nothing outside of the biblical material that tells us about these dead saints that were raised. Therefore, it has caused some to conclude that it didn't happen. But uh, I don't think that that's particularly a problem. There is no outside uh, allusion to this event. But rather, what is interesting and notable in this text is the timing of the event. The timing of the event. If you notice in verse uh, 27, verse 2, it says, well, let me give you verse 51 first. And behold, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. And the earth shook and the rocks were split. The tombs were also opened. What we are to understand is that the tombs were opened at the time in which the curtain in the temple was rent, or torn in two. They it happened at the same moment. They were events that climaxed the death of the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, if you look at verse 51, where it says, The curtain of the temple was torn from top to bottom, and the earth shook, and the rocks were split. The word torn and split in the Greek is the same word. It's the same word. They were split or they were torn. But it's the very same Greek word. It's it's pointing to the same event. At the time that the curtain tore, the rocks also were split open. And those tombs were exposed. And the tombs were opened. Period. Okay? So, stop. That's what happened when Jesus died. That was the miraculous occurrence when Jesus died. The curtain was torn. The rocks were split open. Tombs were exposed. Then, the bodies were raised at the time of Jesus' resurrection. Notice verse 52. The tombs also were opened. Period. Stop. And many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised. And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection. Okay, So they weren't raised when he died. They were raised when Jesus rose. He is the first order of the resurrection. He rises and then people rise. So the rock split as Jesus died on the cross. And then the saints come forth after Jesus rose from the dead. The significance of the event is that in refusing to save himself, Jesus did, in fact, save others. If you look at verse 40 again, it says, You who would destroy the temple and build it in three days. Okay, referring to the resurrection. Save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down from the cross. Verse 42. He saved others. He cannot save himself. Well, he was able to save himself, and he did save others, and he did rise after three days, and these saints did come forth from their tomb. Verse 53 And coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city and appeared to many. In John chapter 11, Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes in me, though he are dead, yet shall he live. Jesus said in John 12, 24, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Again, speaking of his death and of his resurrection. The third sign, and I'm going to tie this all together at the end. The third sign was the earthquake which took place. It is this event that is actually central to the text. It is this event that happened in the proximity of the cross. The other signs were remote. If you were at the cross, you had no idea that the veil in the temple had been rent. If you were at the cross, you didn't know that these tombs had been opened. It is the only event that the centurion would have been aware of out of these three. Now, we saw the darkness over the face of the earth, but out of those three events, the only one that the centurion was aware of was the earthquake. And the significance is that the centurion said this in verse 54. When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, truly, this was the Son of God. This text is about Jesus being the Son of God. Twice, The crowd had said to him, If you are the Son of God, if you can destroy this temple and raise again, if you're the Son of God, come down from there. If you are the Son of God, save yourself. They did not see, perceive, understand that Jesus was the Son of God. But this centurion, this soldier, in seeing the very same things that all those who stood around the cross saw, this centurion witnessing everything that the mockers had said, and the mockers witnessing everything that the centurion had witnessed come to different conclusions. The centurion says, truly, this was the Son of God. And in Matthew, it's not just the centurion, but it's the fellow soldiers with him. Jesus being the Son of God, again, is the theme in the text. Earlier, the crowd had sought proof that Jesus was the Son of God, the crowd had taunted Jesus about his claims. And saying, you who had destroyed the temple and built it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God. It shouldn't be lost. That the veil of the temple was torn in keeping with Jesus' death. Then the crowd taunted Jesus with regard to his ability to save others. You who had destroyed the temple and rebuilt it in three days, save yourself if you're the Son of God. Come down from there. You're unable to save others, they said. It shouldn't be lost that three days later, Jesus rises from the dead. And so do some of the saints at that time. It should not be lost. In verse 54, it says, When the centurion and those who were with him, keeping watch over Jesus, saw the earthquake and what took place, they were filled with awe and said, Truly this was the Son of God. These were the very same men who had beaten and mocked Jesus in verses 30 and following. We had looked at those verses weeks ago. How they mocked Jesus, how they put a reed in his hand, how they put a garb on his back as pretending to be a robe, a crown of thorns on his head, mocking him as king. It's those very same men who are now saying Jesus is the Son of God. The people wanted a sign. The sign that they were demanding is come down from there. God provided them with a sign. A sign of the curtain being torn. A sign of the rocks being split. And people coming forth. And the sign of the earthquake. The centurion got it, the people didn't. I want you to think for a moment about the application of those signs. I said to you that out of those three signs, there was only one of them that would have been recognized by the people. That were standing at the cross, namely the earthquake. Shattering of stones around them, but not the tombs in the distance. There were three signs that were directed towards three different groups of people. The first sign was directed to the priests. These priests that were responsible for Jesus' crucifixion, these priests that had condemned him, these priests that had lied about what He had done. These priests, can you imagine the shock and the awe? Remember, the priests couldn't go into the most holy place. they'd go into the holy place. They went down there on a daily basis. Can you imagine the shock and the awe as they entered the first curtain and for the first time saw that Ark of the Covenant laid bare, open, something that they were never allowed to see or touch. Only the high priest went in there, and only once a year. And there it was, standing exposed. Exposed. as a result of Jesus' death. You want a sign. What a demonstration that Jesus is the Son of God. What a demonstration that through his life we have access into the very presence of God. Through the shedding of his blood we experience the forgiveness of sins. The second sign was to the people of the city. It was to the crowd who had yelled, Crucify him! Crucify him! It was the people of the city of Jerusalem who just a week earlier were crying out, Hosanna! Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. And then a week later are crying out, Crucify him! Crucify him! That group of people are going to see dead people walking into their midst. Not zombies resurrected individuals. Of which that's all we know about. That's all it wants to tell us. There's so many things we'd like to know about that, but it's not revealed. Don't lose sight of what's going on here. A sign is being given to the entire city of Jerusalem that all people would understand significance of what took place on the cross. And then there's the third sign. For those that are standing right at the bottom of that cross, who have witnessed the death of the Lord Jesus. And they have this earthquake. The earthquake in the scriptures is synonymous with judgment. The judgment is often associated with earthquakes in the word of God. This was judgment. But it wasn't judgment upon Jesus It was judgment upon the people. And the centurion got it. He stood there. And when he saw this, he said, Truly, truly, this is the Son of God. He understood that Jesus was the one that he proclaimed to be. The application of the text is really pretty simple. And that is, who do we say that Jesus is? Do we understand that Jesus is the Son of God? Do we understand the significance of his death? That by his death and by his death alone, we can experience the forgiveness of sins and enjoy peace with God. That he is the means of our access into the presence of God. When we die... If we're going to be in God's presence, if we're going to be in heaven, if we're going to be with him, it's going to be because of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's going to be because we have asked for forgiveness based on Jesus Christ dying for us, bearing our sins on that cross. And because he died, we will will rise and be with him. Do you know the Lord as your Savior? Do you acknowledge him? as the Son of God. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We we thank you for your power. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, upon a people that were demanding a sign, but a sign that if it would have been granted to them, would have meant there was no possibility of eternal life. If they wanted proof that Jesus was the Son of God and demanding that that proof be demonstrated in his coming down from that cross, it would have been meant that there would have been no salvation. There would have been no forgiveness of sin. There would be no entrance into the presence of God. There would be no hope for a damned and lost humanity. We are thankful, O God, that you resisted giving them the sign that they demanded. But then, Lord, we're amazed at your grace in providing three signs that weren't asked for, but all directly related to the mockings regarding the temple, regarding his person, regarding his work. Oh, Lord, we are thankful for these signs. And Lord, may we be convinced in our own heart and mind that Jesus really is the Son of God. And the reason that he hung upon that cross was so that we could experience the forgiveness of sins and enjoy peace with God. Oh Lord, as we think upon that great truth, may we realize that there is no other way for us to be forgiven than through the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. If it were so, then Jesus would not have to die. He would have died needlessly. But there is no other hope. There is no other way. So, Lord, convince us today that Jesus is the Son of God. And if there is anyone here who has not yet asked Jesus to forgive them of their sins based on his death and his resurrection, I pray that today would be that day. Open the hearts and minds of people. Grant them faith. Grant them the ability to see and believe. And if you want to trust in the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior, I invite you, to pray this prayer with me. Our Father, I know that I have sinned. I believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he died for my sins and rose again. Lord, I trust in him and him alone for my salvation. I ask that you forgive me. And Lord, help me as I seek to worship him and bring him glory. For it's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.